Hey folks, quick story for you. Have you heard about Imagine Golf? If you haven't, I would encourage you to go into the App Store, search Imagine Golf, and join the over 200,000 golfers around the world who have made this a part of their daily ritual to improve their golf game. A few months ago, I was introduced to a gentleman named Malcolm Scoville. He's the visionary behind the app. Malcolm has worked with other great uh, meditation-based apps like Calm, and he's bringing that expertise into the world of golf, which is something he's very passionate about. Malcolm and I connected. I've loved hearing his story. And the coolest thing to me about this mission that he's on is that he every day wakes up thinking, how can I help change the outcomes for people, both in golf and in their lives, through an improved mental game? It's a really cool app. They do these really fantastic three-minute daily drive lessons that you can just you know listen to when you're either on your way to work or nowadays just maybe taking the dog for a walk who knows or how about when you're out on the putting green or the driving range it's available to you at any time it's uh, free to download seven day no commitment trial uh, you can still listen to it even if you don't do the paid subscription. Although, I would tell you, go in and unlock that door. You will not regret it. Malcolm and his team have done just an excellent job of curating uh, the kinds of things that you need to be hearing to improve your mental game on a daily basis. I do it. I love it. You know me. I like to get into the spiritual side of golf, as does Malcolm, and as do all of those who are contributing to the app. I think you're really going to like it, folks. Go and check out Imagine Golf. And as my friend Malcolm likes to say, keep imagining what's possible. Hey there, friends. Jay Revel here. Welcome to another edition of Mid-Am Crisis. I'm awfully glad to have you listening in. And once again, I think we've got a fantastic program for you today. I have a wonderful network of golfing friends that seems to be growing around the world, which I just love and adore the opportunity to connect with folks. And every now and then that network opens up an opportunity that uh, uh, I probably don't deserve to have, uh, but it's really cool when it does. Uh, Just last week, I had some friends up in Virginia who were preparing to open up their uh, golf course there. It's called Belmont Golf Course. It's a municipal facility that had fallen on hard times and just went through a massive reimagining process uh, and it has debuted you know to to rave reviews it's now a 12 hole golf course with a six hole short course beautiful practice facility uh, it's an original A.W. Tillinghast design uh, that hosted the PGA Championship back in the 1940s won by Sam Snead well now that course has been redesigned by Davis Love uh, and Love Golf Design. Uh, and it's, again, it's, it's garnering a lot of attention because it's doing something bold and different that, that maybe is a model for the future of municipal golf here in America. Anywho, those friends connected me with Davis Love and have given me an opportunity to have a conversation with them about the work that's going on at Belmont and what that means for that community and potentially for the future of golf. And we also had a chance to dive into some other topics. We talked about Phil Mickelson's incredible win at the age of 50 at the PGA Championship, what that means for the U.S. Ryder Cup team, uh, of which Davis is obviously a two-time former captain and vice captain uh, to Steve Stricker this year uh, at Whistling Straits. 
we talked about you know Davis's view on golf architecture and uh, his affinity for the golden age and how he pulls inspiration from some of his favorite architects and how all of that came into play with the difficult decision to take an 18-hole Tillinghast course and alter it down to this new model that you know obviously is probably a better fit for the way that golf is heading today. Uh, we also got to spend a little bit of time talking about one of his great passions, which is barbecue, which is something that I enjoy uh, both uh, participating in from the cooking side and certainly on the eating side. So great conversation with Davis Love. I, I just was blown away with how generous he was with his time. Uh, what a great guy, just you know, easy to have a conversation with. I, I can't tell you how much I enjoy the opportunity to talk to him and connect a little bit, and hopefully we'll get to uh, do a little more of that uh, over some barbecue someday. Uh, anywho, so thanks to the folks at Belmont for helping making this happen. If you haven't had a chance uh, to read about their story, we've got some links in the show notes this week for you. Uh, also, uh, if you're living near Richmond or you're you're within earshot there or you're traveling that area, go check Belmont out. I think you're going to really like what you find there. I'm really impressed with all the things that I'm hearing and seeing, and certainly Davis's perspective on that project makes me uh, even more eager to go up there and take a look. So, without further ado, um, here is my conversation uh, with two-time Ryder Cup chap- captain, major champion, and member of the World Golf Hall of Fame, Davis Love III. Davis, how's it going? It's going great. How are you doing? I'm I'm well as I can be. Um, as you know, I had my hip replaced a couple of weeks ago, and so I'm uh, recovering a little bit. But uh, I'm feeling better than I was before. It was a really old, stiff hip. Now I got a nice, new, good, lubricated one ready to go. Well, you know, I, as I mentioned, my uncle just went through that, and he tells me he's hitting it better than he ever has. But uh, I'm sure you'll be eager to get back out uh, to pounding some balls again soon. Well, my doctor said I would feel like I was 30 again. So I'm just hoping for about 40 or 45 and I'll be real happy. <laughs> well, you know, your, your buddy Phil showed us this weekend that anybody can win, uh, you know, at any age, apparently. So maybe a new hip's just a trick. Well, uh, that was incredible. And I hate being laid up and you know that I have a lot of hobbies and I don't like sitting around. But I got to watch the Walker Cup and Davis Thompson, our tournament director, Todd Thompson's son, was one of the stars on the team. And um, I know a few of the other guys, uh, Stuart Hagestad and I have played some practice rounds together with my son, Drew. Um, so I had some guys to personally pull for. And then obviously as an assistant captain and a captain, I like watching the teams. So that was fun to watch. And then, uh, like you, I was glued to it watching Phil. Um, right from the first hole, you know, he was in it all the way through. And then, um, you know, knowing how close Tom Watson came, how close Greg Norman came kind of at the, the, really the tail end of their careers, but, you know, Phil's been playing great on the champions tours, you know, Charlotte, heck, he started really well. Um, I'm actually more surprised that he, he fell off the leaderboard so far at Charlotte rather than how he hung in at the PGA, but um, yeah, it's been some, been some good TV watching the last few weeks. 
you know, Phil's talked an awful lot about, you know, trying to keep focus when he's out there, you know, and maybe, I don't know if that's an age thing or just, you know, when you've hung a few majors in your pocket and, uh, you know, 40 plus tour wins, maybe it's hard to stick with it. What, what do you think about that? You know, you, and you're someone who's won on tour post 50. I mean, is that something that, um, is a big deal and you have to put a little extra, you know, energy towards? I think it's harder to get in position to win at our age. I think Bob Rotella, the great sports psychologist would say, if I can get Phil Mickelson near the lead, he knows what to do and he can handle it. He can hold off Brooks Kepka. He can hold off Louis Oosthuizen because old age and treachery and, and experience sometimes are better than youth, but it's hard for um, guys our age to get in position to win a golf tournament because there's so many great young players. And obviously, um, you know, from, in my case, I've been hurt and getting older and the game's passing me by a little, but Phil solved that. He's been joking for the last two or three years about I'm dropping bombs and I'm hitting it farther. Look at my club head speed, but he did that so he could compete and he didn't want to, he didn't want to give up on, playing PGA tour events. He wanted to stay out there and keep playing. And he knew that to keep up with Bryson and Brooks and Dustin and all the guys, he had to not lose distance. He, he didn't really gaining over his, his longer days, but he's kept up. And at 50, if you can keep up that drive, he hit on 16 on Sunday. Yeah, that was one of the best drives of the week by anybody. And it was by Brooks. Um, he had a lot on Saturday that were just way down there and right in the middle. And Brandel Chambly said it best. Even when he missed the fairway, most of the time, it was long on the correct side of the fairway where he could play. So, um, you know, he's a hard worker. You know, guys like him or Brooks, they don't just get lucky. Uh, Phil's worked really hard to keep himself able to play against those guys. And I'm, I'm thrilled for him. I can't wait. Now maybe he's on the Ryder Cup team. Who knows? I was going to say, you and uh, Captain Stricker trading a few texts on that over the weekend, I imagine? Yeah, we've traded some text on um, on Phil and, and other subjects. And um, there's a lot going on right now. Um, you know, Steve's had to wait so long to get this Ryder Cup team going and, and picked. Now it's finally getting to the point where we have a couple majors. You can kind of say, all right, the top four to six guys are probably a lock. Um, they're not going to fall out of the – out of the rankings. So um, it's starting to firm up a little bit, starting to get exciting. And then now Steve's starting to get a whole bunch of questions, you know, like, what are you going to do with Will Zalatoris? What, will Phil make it? Um, who's Bryson going to play with? Um, there's a lot of topics out there for him to deal with, but um, there's nothing better than having Phil Mickelson in the team room. Yeah. And if Phil keeps up the way he's playing, you know, he's played great in some champions tour events. He's played pretty good, some good rounds here or there on the regular tour. Now he's the reigning PGA champion. You know, he he's definitely in the mix for sure. Well, and I would think, you know, with someone like him, obviously with his experience, you're going to have some some fresh faces on that team as well. Being able to have, you know, him be kind of a glue in that room and then also, you know, in some of the formats, if he can, you know, feed off those guys and be able to contribute, it, it seems like it could be a real asset. Well, he's he's a leader. Um, he's, he's one of the biggest show-offs we've got out there, one of the cockiest players we've got out there. Well, you want that in the team atmosphere to loosen guys up, to show guys, 
hey, you know, we're not we're not going to back down in this team format. We're going to go out there and, and give it our all. In 2015, I can't remember exactly where he was in President's Cup points, but he was he was definitely in the in the 20s, but he was starting to trend up. And we all convinced Jay Haas that he should pick him. And he was the star of that team. He played unbelievably. He was trending up. Now, unfortunately, in 2018, Ryder Cup, it was the opposite. He was kind of trending down. And the only thing Phil did wrong was he tried too hard to get his game back. And we've seen that with him a couple times in Ryder Cups is there's no lack of effort. There's no lack of confidence. It's just trying too hard when he knew he wasn't quite there. And he started practicing really hard. And he kind of worked himself into a frenzy and didn't play well. But Phil like this, trending up, um, I was just thrilled with his putter. You know, he had that old putter out. Um, it looked like Phil from the old days. It, there wasn't any um, new theories. It was just Phil Mickelson putting great. And um, I can't imagine him not playing well the rest of the year. Yeah, he certainly also seemed to have sort of a, a new stoicism about him. I, I thought his demeanor on the golf course was really unlike anything I'd ever seen before. It seemed very intentional um, yeah. and, and certainly worked. It, it looked like he was trying to visualize the shot and be committed to it. It almost looked like he was – sometimes I wanted to stop him and say, wait a minute, you're taking too long. But he was getting dialed in. Um, he was in a great place. Now, he got a five-shot lead on Saturday, and then he got a three- or four-shot lead. Um, and, and it made it close every time, but that's just, I think that's just the golf course. Yeah. If he'd have been playing like that at the masters, he might've just blown the field away. Um, you can hit some really, really good shots. Brooks got really some bad breaks. He hit some pretty decent shots that went into some really bad places and he hit some bad shots that went in even worse places than they should have gone. So, um, on that kind of golf course, well, we saw it all week ups and downs and crashes and birdies and bogeys and doubles. Um, But Phil, I thought for the most part, you know, he kept it in play. Um, He kept it, kept from making the big numbers. And um, he just looked under control. Like you said, it looked like he was really focused and intentional about everything. Yeah. Well, I know you guys are all getting excited for that Ryder cup coming up. It's gotta be, uh, I'm sure, you know, as bad as the butterflies get on the first tee, from a, a captain and vice captain standpoint, probably start getting a little bit of that, you know, through the summer trying to figure all these details out. But uh, I know the golfing world is just thrilled to death to see that come back. And, and it looks like with a you know, full field of fans. Yeah, it's, it's trending that way. It was great to see so many fans at Kiowa. It seems like week after week, we're just getting more and more. Um, it really helps, um, you know, when the other leagues, you know, the Braves had a full stadium. Um, you're starting to see other leagues start to bring people in. And, um, and obviously we're getting more and more people vaccinated. It's things are opening up down here in South Georgia. (laughs) We are really opened up when I go other places, I'm like, Whoa, what are they doing? Um, But it looks like Wisconsin is really opening up. Um, They've got it under control. And I hope our friends all from Europe can come, but certainly the American fans are going to be there in full force. Yeah, I think uh, you're correct. The, the trends are all you know, beneficial for what we want to see out there come, uh, uh, you know, first tee 
and uh, it's going to be awesome. I just, I think the whole country and the whole world is going to be thrilled to see that go down. Um, speaking of getting people together, I know you just blew in from Richmond where you guys just unveiled your latest golf course project at Belmont. Um, how was that grand opening? Um, Belmont's a cool place. It's an old Tillinghouse golf course that um, unfortunately um, was going downhill The kind of the city crept in on it, put a road through the middle of it. You know, they didn't have a practice facility and um, the city was just didn't know what to do with the golf course. Um, and fortunately they found a great partner in the first tee, um, some great support locally from a lot of uh, first tee donors. And they created one of the coolest places I've ever been. I was against it in the first, but I was like, no, 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 it has to be an 18 hole course. It's Tillinghast. We can't mess with it. And then the, the more we got into it, you know, they put a road through. So a couple holes are messed up. They lost this corner of the property and um, that corner and put a new clubhouse in. And it really had changed over the years. But what they built was abandoned a few holes and built a full big practice facility for not only for the first tee kids, but for the community to have a, a really nice, you know, driving range, short game area. We built almost an acre putting course, which is becoming more and more popular. And then a six hole short course but those holes are copies of famous Tillinghast par threes. And then on that side of the road, there's three of the original Tillinghast holes. And then you cross under the tunnel to the other side of the road. And then there's a full nine holes of original Tillinghast holes. And, you know, with today's game, you know, joining a club, playing five hours, you know, taking all day experience to be able to go out and, hit a bucket of balls and play three holes or hit a bucket of balls and play the short course in the afternoon or go out there and spend the whole day and get the whole experience. But having, I think we got to take the top golf people <laughs> and gradually get them to join a club. Um, yeah. It's acts. It's all about access. And this is going to be for Richmond. Um, it's going to be about access for kids in the first tee and people who just don't have the time and the money to, to play 18 whole rounds of golf at a country club. You know, and historically when people hear about a municipal golf facility, there's a lot of connotations that come with that. And usually they're, they're somewhat negative, but we've real, really seen a great renaissance in municipal golf in the last few years. You know, companies uh, like you guys going in and doing some top-notch design work in these kinds of facilities. What do you think that means for a community like Richmond to, to have a municipal facility that, they can really wave, you know, the banner for and, and promote not only locally, but to the rest of the country as a successful model. Well, I think it's, it's incredible. That, that golf course Belmont has so much history having major championships and tour players come and play there. Um, so much Virginia golf history. Um, you didn't want it to go away, but it was going to go away. The city was kind of, it, it's like Eastlake um, in Atlanta. Um, unless Tom Cousins put it in a foundation and, and did something special with it, Eastlake was going to get overrun by, by downtown Atlanta. Yeah. And so turning projects like that into um, community benefit is, is what it's all about. You know, with, with golf, we're about PGA Tour golf is exciting on TV, and we loved watching the last few tournaments and how exciting it was. But we're driving dollars to charity every weekend. And that's what it's really all about at the bottom line. The Davis Love Foundation at Sea Island or the Dallas Salesmanship Club or the Phoenix Thunderbirds, they're raising money for charity. 
they 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 care who wins their tournament. I hope it's me at home, but <laughs> we want to drive as many dollars to charity as we can. And um, that's what that's what they're doing there in, in Richmond is there they've created a place where there's access and people can grow the game and we can do some good with golf and, and not just uh, have it be an elite sport. Yeah, I'm a big fan. I, I use the phrase small doses of golf, you know, for when you're thinking about getting people into the game. And, and again, you know, I'm sitting here, you know, a little bit four or five o'clock, got a toddler at home, you know, probably don't have time for a, uh, a full you know day on the course but if I can go play a six hole short course or work on my putting on the you know big putting green or have a great practice facility or just go hit that you know nine or three hole or 12 hole loop that that gives you a lot of options and a lot of variety and, and I think that's really just an essential part of the future of the game particularly um, in, in inner cities or in urban areas um, so Thinking about your design company, you know, when you walk into a project like that, what are the things that you want to make sure come through in a fi- in a finished product? When we're building a golf course, we, we're designing to who is going to actually use this. You know, if we're renovating a course for Sea Pines or for Sea Island, we know they're, who's going to play there. They're members and their guests. And we know that they don't want it to be um, – an 8,000 yard impossible golf course. They're on vacation or they're, they're playing their home course. They want it to be fun. So we try to build to whatever uh, the needs are for that, for that club or for that property. And then we try to design courses that fit the land. We don't, if you go and play 25 Davis love golf courses, you're going to get a wide variety of different styles of golf. Barefoot landing in Myrtle beach is a lot different than Diamante in Mexico or the plantation course at Sea Island that looks like Seth Rayner built it. And that's what we want. We've done two courses for Sea Island. One looks like Seth Rayner, and one looks like Pine Needles' Donald Ross. They're completely different looking golf courses. And you can argue over which style you like. Like if you and I go to an art gallery and we look at a bunch of paintings, you might like one kind and I might like one kind, but they both are going to be old master painters. And that's what we look at is um, what fits. University of Virginia. 200 plus year old university, they didn't need a modern style golf course. We gave them a classic looking, timeless, old school looking golf course. And at Belmont, we wanted it to look like Tillinghast built it. So we kind of build to, to what the clientele who's going to play it and also um, what style fits um, that piece of land. Uh, with Belmont, how much of the history did you dive into as far as documents and uh, photographs and old designs of uh, tilling hats from there. We got every picture, every um, aerial, everything we could find. Some some greens or some holes you just couldn't find anything on it. Um, I, I always tell clients, prospective clients, I lose jobs because all I want to do is put it back the way it originally was. Um, you know, we've gone to some classic old golf courses, and they say we want to make some changes, and I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> we want to, we want to put it back to where it was. Old Donald Ross course, Brunswick Country Club. We took the greens plans and went out there and, and sat on buckets and watched the guy on the excavator put them back the way they were before. Um, so I, I think it's uh, I think it's important to to modernize what we do. You know, lengthwise, um, green speed wise. I mean, Augusta National could flatten out some of those slopes because they were you know seven when they 
played back in the day and now they're 15. Um, you know, it's just, sometimes it gets too fast, but, um, I, I just love going out there and being a part of the process and, um, a great team there at Belmont, um, great team at, at UVA, um, last few projects we've done great team at sea pines. And then obviously here at home at sea Island, it, it's fun to be a part of a team and put out a product. And I just had one of the management of sea Island just a couple hours ago say, man, we're getting rave reviews on plantation course. And that, that's what we want to hear. Uh, I, I've had the chance to play a few of your, your courses. I played plantation last uh, fall. Uh, wonderful, wonderful job there. It's, it's incredibly unique and it's got some just, just tons of character for a really a, a dead flat piece of property. Um, but y'all built some, some great movement and a lot of visual interest into it. And those green complexes are, are tough too. They are there. Some of them might need to be toned down a little bit. The ones you didn't like, my brother Mark did. <laughs> you got some out there that if you get short-sighted on, that's uh, you can just go ahead and square that one off on the scorecard. Well, that is a great comment because my buddy Adam Wainwright, the pitcher for the Cardinals, has been texting me about classic golf courses the last few days. And he got on Chicago Golf Club because he'd heard me say how great Chicago Golf Club is. You know what he said? He goes, I short-sighted myself a couple times in that fescue and it killed me. Yeah. yeah. That's that's classic. You got plenty of room on a Donald Ross or a Seth Rayner or C.B. McDonald. If you Pete Dye, who learned from those guys, if you stay, if you stay away from the trouble, um, you might not make a whole lot of birdies, but you're not going to make a whole lot of doubles. And um, that's the neat thing about this architecture. I'm learning every year more and more about, you know, Pete Dye wanted you to hit it up against the bulkhead on 18 at TPC. So you'd have an angle into the green. Well, over there to the right by the cart path, my son Drew calls it the Davis Love corner because I would always hit it over in the corner of the cart path and have to cut it around the trees or chip out. The closer you hit it to the water, the easier the hole gets. And that's, that's the thing Adam Wainwright found out. The more you play to the middle of the green or away from that and get an angle, the easier the hole gets. And plantation course and a, and a lot of the stuff we do, we're going to give you an out. But if you go for the pin and you short side yourself, you're going to pay for it. You know, I've, I've played, um, let's see, talking about sort of the progression of your career. Shell landing over in uh, Biloxi, which is a great little layout. And then one of my favorites that, that I've enjoyed quite a few times is Kinderloo up in Valdosta. Um, that's a great golf course. You talk about dynamic land, um, you know, you just got so many different vistas out there. So many yeah, beautiful piece of property. And that, that had a lot of the CB McDonald Chicago golf club kind of influence on it. Um, it's a big old golf course from the back tees though. They had plenty of room and we, and we used it. Yeah. Yeah. They can stretch that one out. Um, well, that's so, so what's next on your you know company radar? What are, now that you finished up and, Cut the ribbon in Belmont. Where, where are you headed next on that front? Well, we've got a, a project um, started out in um, Cherry Hills, Denver, Colorado, an old Pete Dye golf course, and um, a few other things on the books um, that we're working on both in the U.S. and in Mexico. So um, I don't know where the next dirt's going to actually fly, but um, it, we're getting pretty busy. You know, this has been a great uh, it's been an awful year for our country and for the world, but it's been great for golf. Um, people are playing lots of golf. 
Um, a lot of excitement about the game, a lot of positive going forward. And, you know, there's a lot of 20 and 30 and 40 year old golf courses that need to be redone. There really isn't a great need for brand new golf courses right now. Um, so most of the architects that are in the business, even the, the Nicholas's and the Fazio's and the Reese Joneses are, are trying to get renovation jobs. But you just think of all the golf courses that Arnold and Jack built and they're starting to get to be 25 plus years old. Well, they all need new greens. They all need new bunkers. We're renovating one of our own golf courses already right now. Um, in South Carolina, the Patriot um, needs new bunkers and a little bit of T work. So it's just like your house. Eventually you're gonna have to paint it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and eventually you're gonna have to put a new roof on it. That's what happens with golf courses. So that's, that's gonna keep us busy. Um, and then, uh, you know, hopefully we get a, a new golf course here or there. Seems like Ben Crenshaw is getting all those right now. The, the really good pieces of ground. Yeah, Bill, Bill and Ben do pretty well for themselves, but uh, yeah. I tell you what, I don't know if you've been to Johnny Morris's new course in Branson, Missouri, but you need to go play that golf course. Um, it, it's one of the, it's one of the probably in my top 10, at least golf courses I've ever played already. And I've only played it. Uh, I guess four or five times in the champions tour event out there, but um, it is spectacular. Um, it's a lot like the plantation course in Kapalua where you got these big, huge views and drop-offs into infinity behind the greens. And uh, it's classic architecture. It's classic Ben Crenshaw, but just incredible piece of property. And it took them two or three years to build it. So, so rocky out there, but um, if any of your, listeners are, are going that way go play that golf course it's incredible yeah i've heard some good things uh, a lot of really good things about it and you know like you said that they don't uh they don't miss too often so i i'm, I'm looking for <laughs> yeah anything that says core crunch on it's worth worth playing for sure worth, worth getting out yeah i think you got a good point though about the future of the game and of the architectural side of the game where i mean there's so many um you know canvases out there that are in need of touch-ups and in all and sometimes total overhauls um you know you, you're talking about belmont and an old tilling house my my course here in tallahassee capital city country club is a tilling house design and and you know it was done in the 30s and gosh it you know it could it could use some of your attention you need to get you and mark down here to come take a look at it soon but pretty pretty wild piece of property for florida but um yeah i i, I think that really is the future i think your y'all's line of business is going to be both maybe correcting some mistakes but also re-envisioning a lot of properties that, um, you know, maybe don't have a lot of character right now, but could. Yeah. And a lot of, a lot of clubs say, well, we don't have room to make our course any longer. And most places we go, um, you'd be surprised that you can find 10 yards here, or 15 yards here, or change an angle, um, change a par five to a par four, uh, reroute a hole or two. And the next thing you know, you got a, a lot bigger feeling golf course. So, yeah, the game has changed. Even the pro game has really changed. The amateur game has changed a little bit. But every club is going to have a certain percentage of low handicaps that hit it, that bomb it, like Phil, because <laughs> they want everybody wants to be Bryson and Phil right now and, and hit it a million miles. But you're still going to have the majority of your players need to actually go farther forward rather than farther back. So we're building family tees, um, forward tees that. I don't care what you call them, ladies tees, senior tees, kids tees. They just have to be farther up. So my goal in a golf course now is 
we want to have a 4,000 yard difference, you know, eight's great for, for Bryson, but it's not good for anybody else. Four's good for, for the kids and the beginners, but it's not good for a whole lot of people, but there's a way to give everybody a golf course they can play. And I, I actually love going out at home with all different levels of players and we all play a different tee box and then everybody has fun. But if everybody comes back and plays with me, that's no fun. <laughs> and if I go up and play the whites, it's not any fun for me because I'm hitting, I'm hitting a bunch of wedges. So um, we just have to be more aware of that and, you know, play it forward or whatever the USGA RNA was saying, find your, your correct tee and play and go have fun. Yeah. I mean, my, my grandfather's 87 years old and probably plays, you know, our nine hole course at about 2,500 yards, you know, and, um, you know, probably could still stand to go up further, but they don't have any more tees to go up on. But <laughs> he loves it. Um, you know, maybe shifting gears a little bit. You, you talked about, you know, your home up there in Sea Island. Uh, I'm a big fan of that place. My, as is my wife, I'm fortunate if you can find a place that, you know, you love to go to as a golfer and your wife loves to go to as a, you know, a traveler, you've, you've kind of found the right mix. And I think your uh, brand of barbecue actually is a big reason for that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm a, I'm a minority partner in Southern soul barbecue, but I get a lot of, a lot of uh, talk about it. Um, it's probably cause I eat there too much, but um, I love to cook barbecue. Um, I was actually through my brother-in-law. I had big smokers before Harrison Sapp and Griffin Buffkin that started it before they even bought one. So um I tagged along behind them um, when they started. I actually owned the building behind Southern Soul. And when their building burned down, we put all the stuff that was left over in my building and they rebuilt and we kind of became even closer friends. And um, <laughs> uh, Harrison Sapp just texted me a picture of a big old pork belly he just cooked today. <laughs> so I got to go when we're done talking. I got to go up to the restaurant and make sure I get my share of it. But um <laughs> I have, I have way too many hobbies, but that's one that's real popular with my family. And um, now my, one of my nephews, I've given him two smokers already and he's, he's coming along behind me as a really good um, barbecue cook. So um, we're having a lot of fun with it. And um, I love to, to just be outside and socialize. I'm actually learning to weld now so we can work on and build our own smokers. So uh it's a big passion for me and I, I love Southern soul, but that's what I do at tournaments. Literally I go around, check out the other barbecue places, try to get some ideas and, um, and probably eat a little too much. So what are some of your favorite uh, places other than Southern soul to get barbecue from the circuit? Um, well, Atlanta is tough because we got buddies at, at Fox brothers Um the Fox Brothers guys come down and, and the DOS barbecue guys in Atlanta, they come down and do a charity contest with us uh, in October. Um, Pegleg Porker in, in Nashville is one of my favorites when I, we go up there. I have a lot of favorites in Memphis. <laughs> one time, Stuart Sink and I went to two barbecue places one night, and then the next night we went to three. And I think we both missed the cut. But um, Rendezvous in Memphis, those – the, the Virgos family has been uh, good to us and good friends of the, uh, the Memphis tournament up there for a long, long time. And um, it really is barbecue um, home team in Charleston, Rodney Scott in Charleston. They come down and, and cook. They're a lot like golf. They do a lot for charity. And um, 
when that derecho thing went through Iowa, um, Southern Soul guys loaded up and went and helped Zach Johnson's hometown when um, Hurricane hit and um, over in Alice Beach, they loaded up and went over there. And we, we've raised, we've probably given away a quarter million dollars through our little restaurant foundation to um, food service people over the last year and a half because of this pandemic. So it's a lot like golf. Um, it's a great community, but um, I, I love cooking. And sometimes my wife gets a little tired of smoke stuff. <laughs> um, we got her a little flat top grill for her out by her pool. So she's going more hibachi, la plancha stuff now. So uh, she's a little burnt out on barbecue. <laughs> I understand. When the pandemic hit last year and my wife and I, you know, basically started working from home. First thing I did is I went and bought a new smoker, you know, and I said, honey, I said, I don't know what's going to happen with this whole situation, but I'm going to learn to really cook some great barbecue while we're here. And uh, yeah, we, we, we had a lot of neighbors coming over to try both some, you know, some misses <laughs> and some hits by the end of it all, but it's fun. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Well, Davis, you, you've been really generous with your time, and I appreciate it. Um, I've enjoyed the conversation. Um, look forward to coming back up there and eating some of that barbecue next time we get to Sea Island. And hopefully I'll get a chance to get up and play Belmont soon. I think that's just really fabulous what y'all have done there and can't wait to get up there and try to get a look at it. Yeah, when you get back up here, let me know, and we'll, uh, we'll hit a few balls and play three holes. Then we'll go eat. <laughs> yeah, I'm in, I'm in for all of that, actually. For okay. Sure. Well, thanks, Davis, and uh, good luck picking that Ryder Cup team with Captain Stricker, and uh, can't wait to see how all those balls fly come Hazeltine, this, or excuse me, not Hazeltine, that's your place, come yeah, Whistling, Whistling Straits this uh, fall. It's going to be exciting, and then um, as soon as we walk out of Whistling Straits, we'll, we'll give them a President's Cup hat, and we'll get ready for that one in Charlotte next year. Yeah, man, that's awesome. You're going to get to do that in the old home state and uh, uh, represent our country well once again, no doubt. Yep. Cool, man. Well, thanks again for your time, Davis. Thanks a lot. Appreciate you. We'll talk to you soon. Take care.